Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome back to The Mason Jar here on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. I'm David Kern and I'm joined by Cindy Rollins. Cindy, how's it going? It's going well. We're here to talk about Charlotte Mason and all things Charlotte Mason. Um, before we do that, though, I want to say a quick word from our friends over at Christendom College who are making this episode possible. They're a Catholic liberal arts college that offers a time-tested and rigorous education. Their core 86-credit liberal arts curriculum is provided under the mentorship of committed faculty and complemented by a culture of personal attention, helping each student discern and develop his or her academic and vocational goals. The college's main Front Royal Virginia campus overlooks the Shenandoah River with scenic views of the neighboring Blue Ridge Mountains. But Christendom also offers classes in Alexandria, Virginia, as well as abroad in Ireland and Italy, uh, in Rome, actually, where students can earn BA degrees in classics, English, history, philosophy, mathematics, political science and economics, and theology, as well as MA degrees in theological studies. So if you are interested in learning more about Christendom College, you can head over to uh, www.christendom.edu and that's christendom c-h-r-i-s-t-e-n-d-o-m if you didn't know that already so christendom.edu to learn more about their program and thanks to them for sponsoring the mason jar this month and making uh, making these conversations and this content possible for us to do all right cindy we're here yes. to talk about charlotte mason and um we talk a lot about the idea of how to structure a day, how to, right. you know, do more things like morning time and how, you know, where do you fit in, you know, narration and all the subjects that we've talked about over the years. Um, we've got a couple of questions about what that should look like for older kids. Um, so let's, let's take that on a little bit. You've, you've gone through several children's worth of <laughs> homeschooling high schoolers. Um, did you find that as you were sort of devising the day for your kids that there was a specific pattern that worked, shall we say, sort of universally across the board for all your kids and that you kept that same pattern for all of them and sort of tried to have your kids work within that sort of framework? Or did you have to kind of devise a high school school day that was unique to each of them, so to speak? 
Well, not really, because all, our, our, our days were always um, structured around, first of all, morning time, and then reading, and then math, and then writing. And then, of course, as I got into high school, you added some more formal science, and mm-hmm. there were other, you know, Latin along the way, and those kind of things, different economics. or But most, yeah. of, most all of that, all, every subject that they covered was mostly covered by wide reading. Mm. And, um, and so, and so basically their days. So, so my oldest son, of course he was, we were just, you know, trying to figure things out with him, but eventually I did have a kind of pattern that I kept with. Um, um, I, 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 after Ambleside came along, I, I started, even though I didn't always use their exact uh, suggestions, I did sort of structure my day as they do around um, wide reading. So, mm-hmm. so high school didn't look all that different um, from from the rest of the time, except that um, they began to um, take more ownership over what they were doing. Mm-hmm. I had I was less involved, even though I would have enjoyed being more involved. And then they also didn't stay in morning time as long. Um, they would just come to morning time um, until we, you know, we'd have a Bible verse, um, read, read some of the Bible, do some Shakespeare, and then they would leave. And I would save a lot of the memory work for, um, for, with the littler children, younger children for after the high school kids had left. That didn't mean they weren't memorizing things because they were. Yeah. But it just had meant more that, independent work as far as that Yes. Was. Yes. It just meant that they were, they had a list of, of work and I had pulled up a bunch of files here and because I switched um, my Google my Google thing, they decided not to let me see the files I pulled up anymore. <laughs> and they won't. All, yeah, and now they won't let me switch back. I, I keep saying switch accounts. Yeah, this happens to me all the time because I've got a personal account, a work account, and you know this podcast could quickly evolve into just you know whining about Google if we're not careful. Yes, that's right. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, let's whine. Let's. That would be so fun. Well, so. while you're looking, so the, pretty much the the number one priority for you when it came to your high school students was not that much different than it was when they were younger. And it was based on just reading widely and reading well. Is that? Yes. Yes, it was. It was. And I had certain books that really were important to me. Um, I, I wanted them to write every day, but I, they, they did a reading journal, which was every day, every day, every day, every day, which is basically a written narration, but, but on a much, uh, long, much longer than, uh, than, than what you would have had in the earlier years. Can and you, then, can you just, can you talk about that a little bit? Like what, when you, so you're, you say your son was 16 and he's reading, I don't know, just the Iliad. We'll just throw that out there. Okay. So okay. what is that, um, that, that reading journal? look like well he he's reading probably five or ten books over the course of a week and and if i'm telling him some days i might say write your narration on the iliad some days i might say write your narration on um the shorter catechism or i might pick another thing but 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 he's just going to sit down and tell about what he's heard or what he's read in the Iliad that day. He's not necessarily going to, every once in a while with a high school student, they do get excited and they have an opinion and that's okay for them to express it. Um, but, but basically it's just a narration where they're repeating back um, what they remember learning um, from the book that they read. Mm. And um, well, this, yeah. So you said that there were five books saying a week. Does that mean he just happened to be reading? Oh, what I mean just happened to be, but that he was reading five things at the same time or was he actually starting and finishing five books in a week? 
Um, no, 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 no. He wasn't starting and finishing five books in a week. He was just, um, as per the way Ambleside did it, this was also the way I did it. He might have 10 or 15 books going at a time or 10, you know, let's say 10 because 15 sounds really daunting. He's reading a little bit each day or a little bit at a time out of each one, but he's, he's taking the term to get through those books for the most part. Now, a few, you know, they race through because they're really, I always gave them a, a slot for free reading so that they could, um, they could free read, um, whatever, whatever they wanted. Um, mm. and during that time, of course, then there wasn't any, um, any, um, Nobody was telling them only read one chapter today. You know, if they felt like reading the whole book, that was they were for, they were welcome to do that. Mm. Did you um? You talked about the idea of the independent work and for the kids to take ownership over their their own work, um, and even something of kind of how their day goes. How do you how do you empower them to take ownership and responsibility over their own work? but also in a way that is going to be kind of maintain your, I don't know, oversight and your authority and also your, um, like your ability to assess them properly. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it's I different like it's kids are diff- different. Yeah, it really is. And I would say, um, I, my kids, I don't, I know this isn't across the board, but for some reason in my family, my kids like taking ownership over their own things. They like to feel, that they were um, in charge and that it was – and they, for the most part, um, I would say we did have a couple notable incidents where someone who I thought was taking charge and being responsible was not. Um, <laughs> so they were happened. being teenagers? Yeah, yeah. But for the, if I was inspecting, and this is what I say all the time, if, if I was keeping up with what they were doing, then they – were, were faithfully do, they would faithfully do it. Now, if I dropped the ball and I was just like, oh, I gave you the list and you're going to go do it. And which I did, I did. Um, then, then I could expect trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, at that age, there really is, uh, there must be accountability. There doesn't have to be a nitpicking or, you know, um, I'm just, just taking over mom taking over because sometimes mom will think the kids are learning because she's learning and, and right, that's not, yeah. not necessarily true. But really what happens, what high, when people say, what do you do in high school? There are these two huge gaps. There, are, there is a ninth and 10th grade and then there's 11th and 12th grade. And between these two, <laughs> two sections, there is a great gulf. And it's, it is not, you're not teaching the same children um, in ninth and 10th as you're going to have in 11th and 12th. Because they're growing and changing so quickly? Yes. And because they're becoming much more, uh, an, an 11th grader and a 12th grader are, are just night and day from a ninth grader. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, ninth grade is the ninth and 10th grade are the times that mom has the most control over the child. Um, at, that starts to loosen up in 11th and 12th grades. The children get jobs. They have a lot going on. They're, you know, they have this and that. And um, how, and you think those are going to be these great, you know, you think, oh, I got a lot in 9th grade. I got a lot in 10th grade. I'm going to get a lot in 11th grade and 12th grade. And, and life has a way uh, pretty consistently of making that very difficult. Mm. So I always make 9th and 10th grade extremely top-heavy. 
I make it hard. I make it, I make every, you know, I make sure I get in all the really good books that I want them to read in ninth ninth and 10th grades. And then um, 11th grade, still doing that, but um, things are starting to unravel a little bit as the child is working. He has baseball, he's traveling, he's doing these things and working around their schedule. And then 12th grade, just like in in regular school, 12th grade is generally um, just a time to finish up the credits that the child hasn't gotten yet. And at that time, at that point, generally the boys are working and they have a lot going on. And so I I always had a book list for them. Mm -hmm. And if they needed to finish any science or math, then they did that. Or, or at that point they're maybe even taking college courses. And because those will take up so much of their time, you really, really have lost your, uh, and, and as a matter of fact, I highly recommend that you do something outside of the home for 11th and 12th grades. Not because mom can't figure out a way to teach calculus or, or help the child through Khan Academy or whatever you need to get through some of the higher level math. You can, you can do that at home if you need to and you have to, you can do it. Um, but for the, the child at that point is, it really sends a huge message to that child when they're, they go somewhere else and learn from other people at that point, because number one, they see you are actually going to let them go, that you are not going to hold on to them for all their worth and never let mm. them go because yeah. they have not finished that last book you wanted them to read. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. I was tempted many times to say, well, you're not graduating because you didn't <laughs> finish this book list. Uh, when, when it wasn't that the child wasn't working, it was just that, um, you know, I had to adapt also to the way the changes that our lives were, were facing. And that's yeah. why it's really nice if they're going somewhere else and, and, and someone else is giving them their assignments, then it doesn't become a battle of wills between mom and a child who's trying to become uh, a man or a woman. And um, um, so getting those roles start getting really mixed up at that point. Mm. Yeah, I guess if you're going to prepare your child to actually have the independence that we're supposedly preparing them for, then you kind of have to hold your own plans somewhat loosely, which you talked you talked about that last week, I think even. It seems yeah. like you talk a lot about having to hold plans and expectations pretty loosely. Yeah, they have a way of disappointing us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's better for our, I guess it's better if we if we're holding our plans loosely, then we're a lot less likely to feel like our children, the ones that are disappointing us, like even unjustly thinking that, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Perspective. Exactly. Exactly. We don't want to send a message that they're the ones, you know, messing up our life, that we have this beautiful plan and our kids are constantly messing it up, although they are. <laughs> so. Yeah, but that's, yeah, yeah. But they're supposed to. Exactly. Yeah. So how did you, but sometimes, sometimes you do have to, um, keep a tighter rein on them or, you know, impose some discipline or, you know, exert some authority. Yeah, you do. Point. You need to go in strong. I mean, you need to go in strong. And I mean, you have to have a, some level of authority to homeschool. If you mm-hmm. don't have that authority, then you might as well not even try to homeschool because it, it can't be done without authority. Now, you have to wear the authority lightly, uh, as yeah. lightly as you possibly can. Yeah. But it it sometimes just helps to just um, go in strong. And that's where inspecting what you expect, that is a form of authority. And that is where if you are weak in that area, 
then you are a weak authority because that's what your child needs more than anything else at this point. They need some accountability. Mm -hmm. So when, and I say this as someone who was weak in that area many times, but if you, Mm -hmm. if you require the child to write a reading journal, then, um, that's what you need to check up on at the end of the day. I mean, it's much better to do it daily. Um, I used to have what was called, you know, school wasn't over until we had the end of the day meeting where they, each individual child came to me. Now this was the theory, but <laughs> I highly recommend you succeed at this better than I did, but it is a good idea, <laughs> but kind of like you sign off on the day, like they did do all the things that they were required to do during mm. that day. Um, so that that's that's the first thing you, the, the the authority comes from accountability you're holding them accountable for what you expect out of them now you might think you might find out you're expecting too much which is often the case um, because it's so easy to put things down on paper and then real life you know you might say read one chapter of Jane Eyre or something uh, and Jane Eyre is not a good example because I think those chapters are rather short but say you say read one chapter of David Copperfield and there's another short chapter book. But anyway, read one chapter of some book, and then it turns out the, the chapter has 45 or 50 pages, um, which happens all the time. And, and that obviously, that isn't a good plan. That's not going to work. Now, your whole schedule is off because for the whole year, if you've done the whole year, because you didn't have a, a realistic expectation of how long it would take to read a certain book. Mm-hmm. So um, with high school, it's. Um, you know, you feel like you can make them read more and that you can give them more to read, but you still have to be realistic of what you're expecting. And that's why a daily accounting can help everybody see if they come and say, well, you know, I just couldn't get through um, this chapter of Augustine today. I just, mm-hmm. it was just too, I didn't understand it. I, I just couldn't get through that much reading of that chat of that book. And so then you, you know, then you can make an adjustment and and, and work with the child, um, you know, and not make it so the child feels like, well, I can't read this book. There's no way I can do what she said. So I'm just going to fake it. Mm-hmm. Um, for the sake of limited time, I'm going to, I want to move on to um, a couple specific things. Um, do you have any advice you've, you raised, you had sons and a daughter. So I'm wondering if you have, um, a specific piece of advice that you wish someone had given you for each of those, for like for raising older high school boys, high school boys, and one for raising high school girls. Is there something in particular that you wish someone had told you that you learned along the way for each of those? Well, with my daughter, I wish I had not, um, this is gonna, I'm going to have to say this really carefully, but she kind of became like a confidant to me and, and, and someone I shared everything with. I only had one of one daughter. So, and it was, so it was more concentrated on her, but that really wasn't her place. That was putting too much on her. Mm. And it, it, it was not a healthy thing for me to do. My husband worked long hours. So then I would just be, you know, talking to, to my daughter about, you know, life and this bothered me and that bothered me. What did she think of this? And what did she think of that? And that went and went well for a while. I'm not saying it didn't seem like it was working out fine. We were good friends. And, but in the end, I think it really make it, made it, it, it difficult for her. She didn't have 
the the maturity, and I don't mean that she wasn't mature because she was, but I, but she didn't have the maturity to handle my adult problems. Yeah, yeah. And I shouldn't have done that. So I wish that I had kept a little bit of distance between my kids and myself in a way, especially, you know, a child, any child you're tempted to uh, make into someone who's meeting your emotional needs in some way. I'd be very careful about that because I do think that is something that can happen easily in homeschooling. And while it's happening, it seems like a really healthy, good thing. It seems like you're just close with them. Yeah, I'm just really close with my son or my daughter and that's a good thing but in the end in the long run it really isn't a healthy good thing and Mm -hmm. so it 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 makes it complicated later on um and it's hard to say that because you know you look at your kids and you think well you know my kids are my best friend and for for a long long many 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 long years I would have said that and I would have thought that was a healthy good thing but in the end I see that I relied way too much on that and that it Mm -hmm. ended up being um, hard on the children in, in, mm. in some ways. Mm. Um, this concept of your children being your best friend is very interesting to, to me. <laughs> yeah, such, so what do you I have, think? What, well, what I have you such think? young children, you know, so yeah. I mean, I, right. yeah, I love hanging not, out not, with them and stuff, yeah. but you know, we're not, we talk about whatever they're, whatever thing they're excited about or whatever I'm trying to talk to them about, but we're not, you know, we're not having these the depth of our conversations to this point is yes. somewhat limited. <laughs> you're, <laughs> I'm not, almost you're not getting your emotional needs met. I think I might be interacting with emotional terrorists most of the time. Um, oh, yeah. I'm sure you are. <laughs> yes. At two, two, five, and six or whatever. But um, let's talk about... Would you have... You, I mean, you talk about this in your book um, a decent bit, but is there something about... Um, raising boys then at that age that you, that you wish you would wish you'd learn then or someone had some advice that you would give to someone that you wish someone had given to you for raising high school boys? Yeah, with boys, I think that the, the more you can back off and step back, like, especially with boys, when you, I've, I, I talk about this a lot, but you know, when you're, you, you're going to, you're going to bump heads, you're going to come up against who's in charge here. Cause he's going to be wanting to eventually, you know, he's, becoming a man he's becoming he's having to think through how am I going to be in charge someday how am I going to do this how am I going to do that so naturally he's going to act that out when he when he can or when and and so while you have to be strong you cannot be weak with the with the uh, a boy isn't going to respect you if you're just you know a real weak person but you have to be kind of strong enough to let them go at this point and say okay I'm going to let you go because I'm strong and you're strong and you don't need me to micromanage you at this point. And I think boys genuinely appreciate that. I think think that when they see that mom is, because it can, they can be, so it can be a kind of panicky feeling. I'm sure for a a boy to say, here I am in 10th or 11th grade and my mom is in control of everything in my life. And is she ever, ever going to let me go? And I think the more you can give them, let them see that you are going to let them go then the more um, they're going to trust you for the things that you still are in control of and, mm-hmm. and you're still going to, they're still going to have to do in mm-hmm. order to graduate from your high school. In some ways that makes it uh, more of a partnership too. Yeah. Like if you can yeah, I mean, I think you're always, 
I mean, from the moment your child is born, they're moving away from you. And, um, and it, and it's, that's hard to think about, but, um, but it's, it's definitely, um, you know, something you have to deal with and, and, and something that you need to let them see that you are dealing with. So, um, I kind of had to do that. I mean, my, my boys were just, you know, definitely, um, going, going to, to test me like that. But one thing is if they're, if you're giving them what Charlotte Mason calls food for their mind, knowledge, then they're going to kind of like it. They're going to mm-hmm. like what you're giving them to do. And now they're not going to like every single thing. Like I've talked about Shakespeare before. Um, and it, they don't have to like every single thing. But if there is enough that they're reading, that you're, if you're really giving them the meat uh, of, of knowledge, then they're going to feel fed and, and they're going to be more cooperative, I think. Now, if you're giving them, t- you know, so th- so that's a little bit of a dance. Some children are ready for some books at, at some age and some are ready at a different age. And, th- and, and that's why you don't want to hand them um, the wrong book at the wrong time if you can help it because, yeah. you know, you want to give them a stuff that's going to feed their mind without something so dry and dusty that they just kind of tune out. Mm. Or at least they're not ready for, you know, when you read a really hard book, like we were talking a minute ago about Augustine, when you read his book, it's really kind of dry and you almost have to just really say to yourself, I'm not saying you can't be fed from it. You can, or we wouldn't still be reading it. Um, you know, whatever, what the 800 years after it was written or 12, 1200. But, um, but you, but when you give them that book and it, it's, too much for them they don't they're not making that decision to read it either you're going to have to motivate them some way to say this is why we're going to read this or you're going to make them read it which is you might have to do yeah um but you might not i wouldn't expect to get as much out of it at that point i was talking to josh gibbs about some things related to reading recently and he said in there that one of the things when you when you give up someone a book like you know, Augustine's confessions that you're not like, there's no point in telling them, you know, trying to convince them. This is a book that people, you know, everybody reads just because like it's a page turner or they're going to love it. You're reading this book because of the virtues that it has in it that, that are on display. And so sometimes you have to tell them, I'm expecting you to do this because this is a valuable thing that, that people for centuries now have deemed something worthy of being read because it's going to feed us. And sometimes we have to get fed by in ways that are not like, or by things that are not always easy to swallow, so to speak. Right. But right. you know, it's like, you know, we do it when your kids, when your little kids hate broccoli, you don't, force feed them to eat the entire plate of broccoli, you sort of build it up, right? Um, right. And I right. think it's a similar thing. Like if, if you can do things in moderation and, and little bits at a time um, to help them still be challenged, but not be broken. Yeah. And you might want to have some other readings going on at the same time. Yeah, true. That are lighter, like the importance of being earnest, or um, you know, you don't have them reading um, Augustine and and Dante and um, all these really hard things at the same time. You want to make sure that some of the other reading that they're doing is um, yeah, read some John Buchan and Agatha Christie every night. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, and I put I would put books like that on my daughter's reading list all the time, like. Um, um, 
there was like a Marjorie Allingham book that I thought, well, she'll really enjoy this and she may not pick it up. So I would throw it on her book list because I thought, you know, and that's a mis- an old, you know, 1930s mystery writer um, that, that she would appreciate that. And, and um, the nice thing about my daughter is I was pretty sure she was actually reading everything that I told her to read. So. <laughs> <laughs> but but hey, some so- of my sons were big readers, long, long readers. I mean, they read a lot. Yeah, yeah. Hey, side note, are you a Josephine Tay fan? Oh, I love Josephine Tay. Yes. I Good am. to know. I've been I've been um I was told that I need to to get into her book, so I ordered one. So I'm gonna Which one did you order? The franchise affair. Okay. All of her books are good. She only wrote like five or six of them. Yeah. Um, but um, my, I love, and, and this book is, the both, two of her books are kind of controversial. One is the, the, the one, um, Time, the Time book, uh, well, yeah. Yeah. The Adam, where he, he goes back and looks at Richard III, which extremely interesting book. And then the other book that she wrote is Miss Pym Disposes, which I absolutely love. Um, I, she, she has some great, um, thoughts going on in that book and, um, it's way more than a a mystery novel, Hmm. but all Um, of her books are good. We need to do an episode sometime where we just nerd out on, uh, on mystery stories. Yeah. Yeah. That would be fun. Do you like, um, you you like PD James, right? Oh, PD James is maybe my all time favorite mystery writer. Her level of English is and she's more con- almost like a th- modern day thriller writer who writes yeah, yeah. well it, it w- way better than um what you'd normally find in that genre i uh i was my uh, reading of her has also been not wide enough so i picked up the first of the uh, adam was it adam daglish novels or oh whatever? yeah yeah so. Anyway, back back to the topic. <laughs> we yeah, can do that episode really, sometime. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, we could get distracted here. But those are all great books for your children, your high school kids to read. Um, those those are excellent books. And well, since we're on the topic, I think there's you know there's also a number of um, I think genre fiction actually, um, if you find the right the right kind of book within genre fiction, there's a lot of value in them. So even some of the older Western books and Oh, absolutely. Every you know, some of the Louis Lamore and um the Zane Yeah, Gabriel, we had almost Zane. every Louis Lamore book that we could get our hands on and the boys just went I didn't assign those because they just read those through. And my son, one of my sons, Nicholas, became quite good at writing parodies of Western. <laughs> oh, and we really, really enjoyed those a lot. <laughs> spy, uh, this, you know, the early spy fiction is good too. Um, Buck yeah. and Island, you know, the John Buck and the 39 Steps and Eric Ambler and some of those early ones. are Yeah, Helen McGinnis is yeah, really yeah. good in that, in that genre. I um, mean, those, like I said, those work well for high school. Um, and, and those give you a lot of, I mean, that really opens up, the spy genre really opens up your eyes to, the history and it also gives you kind of little tours of Europe that that's true. That's very come in true. Handy. Um, yeah, no, like the Ambler books especially are very tied to very specific historical events. Uh-huh. Um, and one thing I like about them, I was thinking about this when the ironically when the Mission Impossible movie came out, because I think there's actually a lot of value in stories like that because they're essentially rooted on sort of a single question like ethical question of whether characters should have done something. So even mm-hmm. though the best of them, I mean, certainly there can be some that are full of distractions that aren't worth reading or they're not well-written, but some of the ones that are really well-written that provide a question like that, that the drama is kind of driven by, those are the kind of ethical questions that are presented in kind of a, you know, fun, exciting, thrillery sort of way, but are also very worth contemplating. So if you could find the good ones, it's actually pretty good for the development, I think, of, 
of kids. And it also is, helps their reading habits. Like not only do they read, but they learn to ask good questions about the things that they're reading. Yeah, it certainly gives you plenty of food for thought over what should a character have done. And very often we, we kind of all internally agree with what he should have done or shouldn't have done. And, and why is that? You know, why, why do we all have something written in us that thinks this is right and this is wrong mm-hmm. um, or, or, you know, I know that all literature doesn't point in the same direction, but yes. I mean, often it does. <laughs> um, let me ask you one more question before we go here and then I'll let you have a chance to offer any final thoughts. Um, let's see which one I want to go with here. Well, two, two questions. We'll put it that way. Um, is there something that you that you learned to to do or a way of interacting with your kids that you got better at with your kids that were younger as they got older that you wish you'd known with the older ones something well that- I, I learned not to react I learned um and it's super hard to do I mean we talked about this kind of already but um, I've, I've really, and now here I have my last child at home. So, um, but I've worked really, really hard with him to not react to him and to just listen, maybe listening. Maybe I've, I'm a better listener. Um, I'm not always, I don't always think, oh, you said something. Now it's time for me to straighten you out or fix you. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a friend who was dealing with the son and she said, well, I, you know, he just says this and this and this and this. And I said, you know, if you listen, if you don't listen, if you, if you interrupt and you tell him what he should be thinking, you're not going to change what he's thinking and you're not going to know what he's thinking. And now, and when your children reveal to you something maybe that you don't want them thinking about um, or that you don't like the, the, the way they're thinking about it, um, honestly, that's a trigger for prayer. and. I have just been amazed at watching God raise Alex kind of instead of me feeling like, um, you know, I'm here, I'm, I'm guiding, I'm in the background. I'm not, um, I'm not absent. I know what his grades are. He knows I know, you know, I take him places, we talk, but um, I don't um, always feel, I I do, I try to listen more than I Mm. do um, talk. And did you do you feel like that was you didn't listen as well with your older kids when they were in that age? No, I think I was trying to fix everything. I think yeah. I was in a fix it mode and I was trying to mm. fix them all the time. I felt that was what I was my job was. Mm. I felt like my job was to fix them and make sure they were right. And if I saw that something was wrong, now if I see something that's askew, first of all, I have no. I do not trust my ability to fix it, which I used to feel more sure I could fix it. And now I see, oh, you see what a mess you make when you try to fix things. <laughs> You're not a very good fixer. But I've also seen that God is a fantastic fixer. Mm-hmm. And if I will just wait patiently, I mean, it may be that I, I think of something to say and I say it at the right moment. If I wait for the right moment, it's so much better than if I just go boy, running in there trying to fix something. I've just become so much less confident in my own abilities and so much more confident in God's abilities. And I, I, it can kind of sound really passive, and I don't mean it to be passive, 
because there's always prayer and prayer is active. It's not passive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and it, I, I hate to say it, it sounds like I'm over spiritualizing it, but um, you, by the time your children are in 11th and 12th grade, your influence over them is waning drastically. It's going down by the minute. And some people don't see that right away. You know, I, 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 I didn't see it in my firstborn as quickly as I saw it and those coming behind and it just gets worse as you know when you raise when you raise a toddler with a teenager things are different you know um they hear different kinds of music they hear different you know (laughs) movies are on in the background so um it's a whole different story but um a lot different than those that first one yeah not not quite so sheltered environment and yet it turns out to be um maybe a little bit good for the child they see things and um um so so anyway that's those are some things i've learned over the okay. years here's my final question then how do you prepare like so i we were talking about i've got everyone knows i've got little kids right so how do people who are in my situation or maybe they have middle schoolers how what advice do you have for preparing young children to be successful in the older years and then kind of the follow up to that is how do you know when, a, when your children are ready to be given that freedom? Are, are there some clues, some things to look for um, that, are, that, are, I, that you can kind of identify? Well, you do. You kind of have to keep your eyes open. But when you see them doing something, it's like that thing, catch somebody doing something well and encourage them. Um, you kind of, that is kind of your job as a parent to catch your children um, doing well and, and and finding ways to encourage them. So if you see that they need to take more ownership of something, or say say they're they whine a lot, or they're they're whining and complaining a lot, it might be better to wait till they're not complaining, and then say, you know, I really noticed that you didn't complain even though you hurt mm-hmm. your ankle the other day, and um, and that might be a good chance for you to talk about, you know, one of the worst, you know about how awful it is to be around people that whine a lot and not saying in the negative, like you're such a whiner, stop whining. Nobody's ever going to like you. Um, (laughs) But actually saying it in the thing like, you know, this is really good, um, good character that you've shown here and it's going to come in good stead because nobody likes a whiner and here you, you didn't do that. So I, I think you have to have your eyes open for that positive reinforcement um, as as psychobabblish as that sounds. <laughs> well, you know, the other day Bethany was out, and so I had the three boys, and it was bedtime, and <clears throat> you know there was a lot of nonsense going on between all three of them, and they were keeping each other up, and you know all the things that drive parents crazy when they're mm-hmm. trying to get kids to bed, and it's getting later and later. And I and I realized at one point with the older one that he was I don't know he was doing whining or finding twenty seven reasons to get out of bed or something, mm-hmm. and yes. her response was like. What is wrong with you? You know. Yes. <laughs> you, find, you find yourself like I'm trying to identify for them, like all the things that are wrong with them, and I realized that's probably not a healthy question to like rhetorically ask a child. Right. Because if I'm saying what is wrong with you, and the implication is there's something wrong with you, and it bothers me, and then so then if they're being thoughtful at all, or even if they're not, that question how can that question not like be at work in their brain. Like, what is wrong with me? Yeah. What is wrong with me? Something's wrong with me. Yeah. Um, and that's I a def- very different thing that, well, sorry, go ahead. 
No, I agree with you. I totally, I mean, I, th- I don't think it always, I mean, I think they sometimes know that you know, it's tongue in cheek, but then maybe sometimes it's not. Yeah. Well, I think kids have a pretty good sense of like the difference between when, when you're, uh, when you're really angry and when yeah, you're kind yeah. of joking with them, you know, maybe have not always, ever- but. Have you ever heard the poem Cuddle Down or Cuddle Dude? <laughs> it's a Scottish so. poem. Um, look that one up. You might want to try it for the thing. It'll be really challenging for you because it's all Scottish dialect. <laughs> for the but daily poem? The, yeah. It's by <laughs> Alexander Anderson, and it's one of my favorites. And um, it's all about the children going to bed at night and just causing so much trouble. And then their mom gets just just gets so angry with them. And then the dad gets angry at them. And then the end, it's all about how how precious and sweet they are as they lay there in their bed. And <laughs> well, it I is like true. it because it's a wee Jamie with the curly head. He's the one who was always causing the trouble. And I'm like, yeah, we, we had that exact child, Jamie with the curly head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, that's, that's what we're looking at right now. <clears throat> um, well, do you have any final thoughts? Well, do you have, well, let me, let me just go back to this. Do you, how do you know, can, did you did you respond to the question about how you know when they're ready to be given freedom? Like like if you have a fifteen or sixteen year old, like when did you know that Alex was ready to start being set free a little bit more? I didn't know that. I didn't know it, and mm-hmm. you don't know it. And honestly, you can see maybe you can see sometimes when you miss you missed a chance. Like oh, I should have given that child more oh, freedom yeah. there. But what happens is you kind of have to let go and um, find out. and find out. And, yeah. and that's where we can't be quite so afraid of failing. We have mm-hmm. to be willing and, and, or quite afraid of our children failing because so much of what we learn is through failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet we do everything we can to avoid it to the point where we have our children growing up in homes where they're just pretending to do everything right because the worst thing would be if somebody found out they were doing something wrong mm-hmm. when it's, it, it didn't make them good. It just made them afraid really afraid of being honest and so I think that you just have to when your child reaches certain ages you have to give them more and more responsibility now I I want to put a caveat here why I'm saying all that because it is not the best idea to have your children babysit each other Um, that um, a lot of times parents will get a 12 year old child and they'll they haven't had any freedom in 12 years and the first thing they do is they start, you know, they go to the cafe on the corner or something um, because they have a 12-year-old and that 12-year-old is going to now babysit for them. And it yeah. can be kind of, you can kind of, with our first 12-year-old, we, my husband and I quickly realized that that was not a good idea. And we, and we definitely fell into that trap. And then we realized when, when things got kind of crazy that um, he was not ready to be a babysitter, especially to a large family. Very rarely is a 12 year old, uh, they, they might be ready to babysit other people's children, but in their own family, that's a lot of burden and responsibility and it hurt. It can hurt the relationships within a family. Mm. So I, I, you really should avoid over relying on your own children to babysit until they're quite a bit older. Um, and, and, and so even, so you're going to give them more and more responsibility, but you are not going to give them your job. So mm-hmm. you have to be careful about that. You want to mm-hmm. make sure you do your job and they, and they can c- have other jobs. It may be jobs that contribute to the family. They may, you know, go, it may be chopping wood. Boys like any job, as James Daniel says, that is purposeful. They don't, mm-hmm. They don't like 
to just run around the house for the sake of running around the house, even though sometimes that's what we have to do because we have nothing to do and they have to run around the house or else you're going to kill them. Yeah, they want to chop wood even when the neighbor has a chainsaw. Yes, exactly. Oh, my guys would do that any all day long. They they would love. They they're just like, oh, put the wood out there, and we'll go out there and chop it when we have. Yeah, we we had some trees fall down in our yard, so I grabbed the axe and was chopping. And Bethany was like, why don't you just ask the neighbor for uh for the chainsaw? And I was like, you'll never understand. (laughs) We will not. But I do know it's pretty true. They like boys. That's and that's such a great job because it's needed and. It's helpful, but but uh, uh, most of us don't. Slightly have dangerous. Yes, yeah, slightly dangerous. <laughs> that's that's true. So anything like that, that anything looking for meaningful, purposeful things for them to do is is one thing, um, and that that's not always easy. It's not always easy to find in this this modern day and age where we have a lot of free time to you know veg out um, on our uh, devices um, to find meaningful work for our children. Um, it, then maybe it's just making dinner once a week um, or, you know, obviously chores around the house are need to be done. Hmm. And that, you know, going back to preparing the kids, like that things like making dinner and helping out with things that are sort of quote unquote important, even playing a yeah. small role. And that probably helps. Like I've noticed that with the difference it makes when I let our, my kids even play a small role in helping make dinner. They like it, but it also seems to, you know, there's a sense of empowerment in that and they're, they're actually participating and seeing the results of their labor. And, um, you know, you, you're not, you're not completely relying on them to keep you all alive, but you're, they're participating in the process of keeping everybody alive. Yeah. And I think they know, I think that they, that, that is purposeful and that, that they really appreciate that more than if you just, you know, we're making up stuff for them to do just, just because. to keep them bees busy. Yeah. 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 Kids recognize busy work pretty quickly. Yeah, busy work, whether it's in school or whether it's in in life, it's not, nobody likes it. (laughs) Okay, well, I think we should call this one a day. You have any final thoughts? Um, Yeah, I I have a big file here of, of a 10th grade um, schedule. If I don't know if there's a way I could upload it to the webpage, but if I can, I'll do that. Yeah, perfect. Do that. Or we can even, um, if you have a, we can make a public link, public link somewhere and then link that in the show notes. So we'll work that out and make sure that that's in the, in the notes. So everyone can, can come find that. Um, all right, Cindy, well, thank you. Um, thanks to the people who have put questions in. If you want to have a question answered on this show or to- suggest a topic, you can do that over on the Mere Motherhood Facebook page or you can email one of us. I'm david at com, and Cindy is cindy at ordo-amoris.com. Um, so either of those places, you can submit a topic or a question for a future episode. Um, don't forget about the other shows we've got going on. We have our new Shakespeare show over on the Close Reads Podcast Network. That's called The Plays the Thing. And we're working our way through King Lear right now. We also have The Daily Poem, which you can get uh, every morning. It's about three to five minutes uh, where we are bringing you a classic or at least great poem. Um, right now, we're kind of working through some of the the best poems from William Harmon's anthology um, with some, you know, even including little references to some of the notes that he included in that. And that's an anthology that Cindy referenced a few weeks ago when we were talking about poetry. So, um, so far it's been me reading the poems. So if you want someone, if you want to wait for 
someone else be reading the poems. I will not be offended. Yeah, you. I just I haven't listened to any yet because I'm I'm not a very good at podcasts. But I saw one that you tackled. I thought, whoa, I got to listen to that. <laughs> but I can't remember what it was now. But I'll, I'll get. To, I'll, I will have a podcast day when I catch up on those. Well, some of them I've tried to do fun ones like um, even Jabberwocky by Lewis Carroll. And oh, that was it. Yeah, Jabberwocky. Did you like study to find out I how ha- to say everything? I had to practice a little bit, and even then, I probably did a bad job. But you know. It's a fun poem. Um, I, oh, it is. Um, those nonsense poems are are fun to to tackle because even if you mess it up, then you know who who's cares? to say <laughs> who's to say how you pronounce That's the whole word, point. Right? There's exactly. no word is or mom or whatever. Yeah, the mom, the mom glade or something like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you wanna, you can find any of these podcasts wherever you get your podcast. We have our former show as well, which is interviews with um, writers and authors and things like that. Coming up soon, we're going to have an interview with Sam Smith, S.D. Smith, the author of um, a bunch of young adult books, uh, middle grade books that I, that I think a lot of our listeners are probably pretty familiar with, um, as well as a number of other people. So you can find that as well. And then of course, we have the Close Reads show. And right now we are working our way through Crossing the Safety by Wallace Stegner. And we'll have a Graham Greene novel coming up soon. So mm. we have lots of great content out there in addition to this show, if you uh, are interested in such things. But of course, thank you for subscribing rate, subscribing to this show and then rating and reviewing it and all the support and all the comments and all the conversation. We are grateful. Um, and, yeah. Um, it, thank you, everybody. It's an honor to be a part of the conversation. All right, Cindy, thank you very much. All right, thank you. Talk to you later. All right. Thanks to everyone who's been listening. We'll be back next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 